the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Hour number two, Bruce Hooley Show. Don't forget, tomorrow we will have Senate candidate J.D. Vance on the show, 1133. J.D. Vance, I think, was probably the long shot to get the Donald Trump endorsement in the Republican primary for Senate, but he got it. Probably Donald Trump Jr. played a transformative role in that. J.D. Vance, Donald Trump, will be at the Delaware County Fairgrounds on Saturday night for a Trump rally. And I think Jim Renacci will be there. Don't know if Joe Blystone will be there. Doubt Mike DeWine will be there. I was talking with somebody last night at the Save Our Schools event at the Hilliard Presbyterian Church. I said, do you think Trump will make a gubernatorial endorsement on Saturday night? And the thought was not as certain that he would, but way certain that Trump would have something snarky to say about Mike DeWine. Now, I heard uh, three supposedly informed reporters on a different radio show locally talking about Mike DeWine and the governor's race and Donald Trump. And one of the reporters who's supposed to be doing this kind of stuff every day made the comment, well, I don't really know if Mike DeWine's ever done anything that, you know, directly offended Donald Trump. Yeah, except become the first governor to come out and call Joe Biden's election in 2020 legitimate. Trump chafed over that. And I remember when Trump was in Northeast Ohio, the last previous visit he had to the Buckeye State, he asked aloud, who will be running for governor? Should be interesting. Something of that regard. Well, now there are uh, two guys who've made big inroads into DeWine's base of support, Renacy and Blystone. We'll see how that shakes out in the primary on May the 3rd. What an upset it would be. What an upset it would be if one of those two gentlemen won the Republican primary. Because I'll tell you this, their voter blocks are motivated to get out and vote for them. I don't know how motivated DeWine's voter block is, but he benefits, DeWine does, from the fact that there is a spirited Senate primary on the ballot. So my prediction is DeWine will win, but my prediction of the headline coming out of that primary will be, look at the number of Republicans who did not vote for Mike DeWine. That the totality of Renacy and Blystone's support will exceed DeWine's support. And that, of course, will raise hopes among Democrats that they can win the governorship. Too bad they're running two knuckleheads. Although John Cranley is far less of a knucklehead than Dan- Nan Whaley. She's just a, she's a crazy person, Nan Whaley. She would bankrupt the state in a heartbeat with universal pre-K and other things that she's so proud of in Dayton. She'd do her best to take your guns away. 
she would, uh, boy, she would be an epic disaster. She would be Kathy Hochul-like. Uh, Cranley is more sensible, in, although he must be losing his sanity because I know he used to be pro-life and now he's pro-choice. So uh, that is where we stand on the political side of the aisle. It was good to meet Jim Renacci. Really good to meet uh, Joe Knopp, his running mate. Very interesting guy, Joe Knopp. Google him. Find out about his amazing life story. Raised in an orphanage, served in the Air Force, uh, making transformative faith-based uh, movies. Really, really neat guy, Joe Knopp. All right. The jury in the William Husel trial is back deliberating the doctor's fate. Now, I have not talked about the Husel trial because for radio purposes, it's impossible to every day delve into enough detail on witness testimony to keep people abreast in a fair and balanced way of which way the case is trending. Um, I am... A bit bothered, but less bothered now that I've read the judge's exact instructions to the jury yesterday, telling them to continue to deliberate on Dr. Housel's fate, and he's charged with 14 counts of murder for allegedly speeding or causing the death of patients in intensive care by by prescribing what the state contends is an excessive dose of painkillers. So my view of this is impacted somewhat by the fact that I know someone who was let go by Mount Carmel in its efforts to distance itself from Husel by firing everybody who had anything to do with him. It was always a nonsensical position, a CYA position by Mount Carmel to fire every nurse who was involved in these cases, or who worked on a shift where they could have had access to these same patients. I know why Mount Carmel did it. As I said, it was a CYA move. But it was very unfair, and it put those healthcare professionals through unspeakable agony to have their professions ripped away from them and to put a black mark on their record that kept them from working at other central Ohio hospitals or hospitals elsewhere. This was not, not a fair way for Mount Carmel to react. They went scorched earth on anybody that they could put any kind of tangential blame on for being a part of the Husel matter. So the jury deliberates. They come back to the judge, Michael Holbrook, and they say, look, we're deadlocked. We can't reach a verdict. And Holbrook says what is apparently a common response to juries in this kind of situation. There is no reason to believe the case will ever be submitted to a jury more capable, impartial, or intelligent than this one. Likewise, there is no reason to believe that more or clearer evidence will be produced by either side. It is your duty to decide the case if you can conscientiously do so. Now, uh, maybe if you, I've never served on a jury, but I cannot imagine if I were serving on a jury in a matter as consequential as this, where William Husel could spend the rest of his life in prison if he's found guilty, that anybody could talk me out of my vote of not guilty if that was truly what I felt the evidence showed, nor could you talk me out of guilty if I was 100% convinced that that is what the evidence showed. 
So they are deliberating again, and I'm a little uncomfortable with that. I'm a little uncomfortable with that because if Husel was eventually convicted, then you wonder, well, what was said or did people cave because they just got tired of not being able to resume their normal life? Okay, I'll give in, fine. I give up. He's guilty. Can I go home now? So the prospect of that makes me uncomfortable. And I know not all situations are the same, but I know in my situation with my father, he had a catastrophic um, heart situation, his aorta uh, malfunction. He was not in a physical condition where he could undergo an operation on his heart to save his life. That would have been pointless. And he was in tremendous pain on the night that he suffered this incident. And my advice, My plea to the attending physician was, look, my father and I don't have any unresolved issues that we need to talk through. He and my brothers and his wife, our mom, we all know where he's going. In fact, in my father's last cognitive breaths, he was witnessing to the attending physician, which is a precious memory for me to cherish. But I said, Whatever it takes to get him out of pain, do it. Do it. And if that makes him incommunicative, if that uh, speeds the onset of death by an hour, two hours, three hours, six hours, I don't care. I don't want my father suffering at the end. Now, there was no testimony that I know of that All 14 families in these situations made such a request. But because I made such a request, I can see where there is nuance in the decisions that Dr. Husel may have made. I'll say there may have been nuance in the decisions that he made. I don't know the man. I know people who knew him, who served under him. The other thing that I'll say about Mount Carmel getting rid of every nurse that it could possibly tie to this situation is, The insinuation from Mount Carmel to the nurses was, well, you should have known. You should have known from the astronomical amount of painkiller that he was prescribing. Is that a system you really want in place in your hospital? Nurses questioning doctors? I mean, again, we go back to what the theme of the show has been today, which is order and norm and the value of observing the norm. The norm in a hospital is for a doctor to make decisions about the administering of medicines that the doctor's education and experience tells him are appropriate for that patient. And I don't know that it is wise for the functioning of a hospital for nurses to be second-guessing that. Again, I'm speaking in generalities here, not necessarily in specifics, but I'd be less than honest that I, if I said that I'm at peace with a judge continuing to tell a jury to continue to deliberate when some of them at this point in time appear to be in a position where they say, you're not going to convince me. I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind. Now, what could happen in this case is, since it is 14 counts and they have to go through all the counts, there could be a case where everyone is united, just like there could be a case or cases where there's dispute 
and they may render a verdict on some of the cases, but not on others. So we'll stand by and see jury deliberating again. That's the latest that we have it at this hour on the William Husel trial. There have been an array of images in the Biden administration that have been uncomfortable. Uh, Stumbling up the stairs of Air Force One, turning seemingly lost, looking for where he goes next. Uh, But yesterday's incident at the White House was, uh, well, was another. The Easter Bunny uh, had to go over and... uh, Grabbed Joe Biden while he was engaged in a conversation with somebody on a rope line about Syria and Afghanistan. He was mumbling about two countries. Who knows what he was saying, where he was headed. And the Easter Bunny came over and uh, grabbed him and waved at him. Hey, whoa, hey, here I am, here I am. And then pulled him away so he could go preside over the Easter egg roll. Uh, Then, of course, later... Uh, Joe was standing up there at the podium wishing everyone a happy Easter a day after Easter with his uh, wife, Dr. Jill Biden, and he wished everyone a happy Easter. And then Jill said to him as an aside, wave, wave, and he dutifully began waving. Um, Not a good look, not a good look for our president, not very awe-inspiring given the challenges that are ahead of us. Today's Wall Street Journal has a story um, that reads, Hot economy, rising inflation. The Fed has never successfully fixed a problem like this. Oh, good. (laughs) Prices are through the roof. Uh, Unemployment is down. Interest rates, though they have been raised some by the Fed, are going to go higher, much higher. As much as a half a point every Fed meeting coming up over the next six months, according to Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman. Uh, Janet Yellen is the Treasury Secretary. She would be a cabinet member in that role. She would be in the uh, position of, I would think, calming the nation, telling everybody, don't worry, we got this. We got this figured out. Like it, It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. Uh, her comment to the Wall Street Journal is, it will require skill and also good luck. Oh, ah, wonderful, wonderful. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to raise interest rates to um, put less money out there in the system. When interest is cheap, money's easy to borrow. Big companies borrow a lot of money because they're looking at, say you're a big company, say you're BlackRock. Okay, let's go with the biggest one. And you got a ton and ton, a ton of money. And you can borrow more money. So you got a ton of assets, a ton of assets that will allow you to borrow a lot of money. You got a lot of collateral. You can borrow a lot of money. You're looking to make money for your shareholders. Money's at 2%. Where can I borrow money at 2 Can I borrow money at 2% and put it in an asset that's going to appreciate and will return 8%, 10% of my money? Okay, why wouldn't I do that? Well, of course you would do that. So that's why they raise interest rates, because otherwise BlackRock or the big entity would borrow a ton of money and go out and do what? What is happening a lot in our country right now? Big companies are going in. They're buying entire housing developments. Why? Because people need housing. They know the houses are going to go up. 
So they're going to borrow money cheaper than they can get a return on that money. It's a good investment. It's just lousy for everyday Americans who don't have the money to, like, make guaranteed profits. Can't borrow a lot of money. That's why the price of goods goes up. There's a lot of money out there. Why wouldn't we charge more? People will pay it. So that's the theory behind raising interest rates so that people don't borrow that money. There's less money in the system. If there's less money in the system, then prices will go down. The problem is when there's less money in the system, there's less money to expand businesses, to run businesses, which means what? Less money to pay workers, which means what? Unemployment goes up. So they're trying to bring interest rates up but not make unemployment go up because unemployment tends to make people unhappy when you don't have money to pay your bills. And the Wall Street Journal is saying that they've never been able to do this before During the past 80 years, the Fed has never lowered inflation as much as it is setting out to do now by four percentage points without causing a recession. Still, it reads, Fed officials can find reason for both optimism and caution from history. Well, good. I'm glad you picked a side there, optimism or caution. In seven different episodes during the past 80 years, inflation has fallen as much as the federal bank wants it to drop now with varying outcomes. The episodes suggest that the desired scenario is theoretically possible, though the risk of failure is high. Well, don't we have confidence in this administration, given that everything they've touched has worked out so swimmingly well? No, we don't. So let's turn our attention to another topic on the local level. COVID! Yes! Dr. Joe Gastaldo, Medical Director of Infectious Diseases at Ohio Health, would like you to know that he still exists And his opinion still matters, even though the federal mask mandate was rescinded yesterday. You can now fly, by the way, on American, Alaska Air. Wait, I skipped the biggies. American, Delta, United, Southwest. Alaska Air, JetBlue, Frontier, Spirit Airlines, Hawaiian Airlines, and three other airlines I never heard of. You can all fly on those without a mask. People were ripping their masks off yesterday mid-flight. Pilots were coming on saying, I have the business. One pilot said, this is the most important news I've ever had to make on a public announcement, and that is the mask mandate has been rescinded. And people cheered and leftists cowered, including some who were like, oh, my goodness, I'm on a plane, and they just announced the mask mandate has been rescinded, and people are ripping off their masks, and I have nowhere to go. Relax. You're safe. HEPA filters, remember? But locally, Dr. Gastaldo of Ohio Health would like you to know that you can't relax. COVID may be making a comeback. The latest numbers, 3,000 cases the last week of March, and then 4,800 last week. Uh Uh-oh. Now, I did the math on this, okay? The positive numbers for COVID tests nationally are in the thirty to 35,000 range for a seven-day average. Now, the media will tell you that that number is increasing 30%. So I went back and I looked to find out what we were hitting in terms of seven-day average during the peak of Omicron. It's 30 to 35,000 cases now. During the peak of Omicron, cases nationwide in a seven-day average were 800,000 a day. 800,000 a day. Now, I know we talked earlier about math and mistakes being 
equated as miscommunicated knowledge. But I don't think this is a mistake, unless my calculator on my phone is lying to me. And I'm going to endeavor to communicate this truthfully. But if we're at thirty to 35,000 cases per day on a seven-day average now, and we were at 800,000 cases per day, that means we are now at 4%, 4% of the case rate we were at during the peak of Omicron. So while Dr. Gastaldo says, don't relax, this isn't over yet, I'm telling you, even though I'm not a doctor and I'm playing one on the radio, you can indeed relax. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.